Hello and welcome to the Almost LA podcast. My name is Aiden. And my name is Audra. All right. So, it is a beautiful Friday. The car wash next to me is loud. Um, I can't hear it. I'm coming home today. Coming home. Aiden's coming home. home. Coming home. We're going to see a show. We're going to... Who are we going to see, Aiden? We're going to see Chris D'Elia. Chris D'Elia. Aiden's favorite comedian. It's going to be very funny. I'm excited. Hopefully, Um, we can sneak into the meet and greet. Hopefully, yes. Wouldn't your mind explode? I think my mind would explode, but I feel like he's just going to be super Chris D'Elia about it, you know? Never meet your heroes. Right. I- ironic, huh? Which, oh, <laughs> and, and then today's topic. <laughs> but, um, okay, so today we want to gloss over a little bit what we're talking about. Yes, we are going to talk about Michael Jackson and the documentary <clears throat> that just came out, Leaving Neverland. Um, I'm just going to preface this by saying we ha- I had Michael Jackson um, on the list to do at some point, obviously because he is the biggest iconic entertainer probably ever and probably ever will be. Um, I didn't realize a documentary about him was coming out maybe until like I'd heard he had one, but I wasn't really sure what it was about. Um, and then when I heard last, it was coming out on Sunday. Um, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. We'll, we'll watch the documentary. We'll talk about this. And then I watched it and realized how horrific it was and I've been wavering back and forth all week was should we talk about this should we not talk about this This is too sensitive and then so here we are we're gonna do it and um I was gonna try to leave some bias out of it you know because I know that there's two different camps about this one who are passionately for Michael Jackson believe everything he's innocent believe that he's innocent you know um, and that is their right. And and um, and then there's the other side who uh, don't want to listen to his music anymore. Um, you know, his legacy will be that he's a pedophile and not a su- superstar. Um, so it's two very different sides. And um, I'm just going to say that I believe the victims. And it pains me that uh, this whole thing has occurred because um, I loved Michael Jackson growing up and worshipped him and his sister Janet loved her. Um, so it's, it's a very difficult topic. Um, so Aiden, not knowing too much about Michael Jackson, I mean, you know who he is, but you didn't grow up with him. So you're coming in as like this, like, I'm sure, what you, when you heard about the documentary, what were you like, were you like, what? Or what did you know before this whole shitstorm happened this uh, before past week? I remember, well, okay, so obviously I remember when he died. It was a big deal, even though I was young. That was in 2008 or something, right? Or no, yeah. actually, that was like 2010. Yeah. But, um, no, nah, I've known It was about, 2009. 2009, yeah. and I remember it specifically because it was the day my daughter learned started to walk. Walking. She yep. started walking that day as we, we were, were watching a, the news about him. That's actually a good story. We were in a, like, a, what, like a little gross hotel, and the carpets we were, were gross, right? Our flight was canceled or something out of LAX, yeah. and for some reason we could only find a hotel room in the dis- most disgusting hotel room next to LAX, which is stupid because there's like a zillion hotel. I don't know why we were there, but the carpet was so gross. Nobody wanted I, to walk I, I on think it. We didn't think it was going to be that gross. And then we got there. We were like, uh, yeah, that's true. So we were and hanging then out watching the news. I was paranoid that my little daughter was going to be crawling on the carpet. And I think she obviously was smart enough to be like, 
nope, I'm going to walk now. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> yeah. she, but we had the news on. and she it went, was oh, all that's over, gross. Yeah, it was all over the news uh, because he passed in, in L.A. Uh, preparing for his uh, This Is It concert, comeback concert. And uh, yeah, and it was very sad. Yes, but I, I have known about the allegations for a very long time. And all yeah. my friends do, too. We talked about it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. They're all my age and a little bit older. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's the, uh, for, for me at least, coming from my generational standpoint, it's, I feel like it could go either way. There could be people my age who know about the allegations but don't care because mm-hmm. they weren't around when it was a big deal or when he was an enormous superstar. Right. And there's also people that that's all they know of him, so they just think he's an awful right. person. And they don't know about the, the, the stardom and the other things about his life. So right. I think... No matter what, people my age are uninformed about the situation as a whole. But, yeah. Um, I, well, and I, think, I think there's people that my age that grew up with him that because the allegations have been going off and on for so long um, and he was exonerated. He was never, you know, let's put it out there. He was never convicted of a crime, um, which doesn't mean he didn't do anything. But, you know, also on, on the flip side, you know, he wasn't convicted and there was plenty of proof. And they, you know, according to what I was looking at, um, you know, so I think that you over the years hearing about the news and hearing about the allegations and if you don't dive deep into court documents and you know all that kind of stuff you kind of have a skewed version of maybe your opinion about what happened what you you feel in your heart might have happened you know you could waver I've wavered back and forth of definitely throughout the years of he's innocent oh he's guilty oh he's innocent oh he's guilty just based on who's freaking out at the time you know what I mean yeah um okay you so know, babe, I, real quick <clears throat> this is a sensitive t- subject, so we're gonna have a safe, uh, what, it, what we call it, a safe sentence. Safe sentence. <laughs> and it was because I might ramble a lot and get a, really very emotional about we it. We both so. might get emotional, so if, if either one of us gets too emotional during this, <laughs> we're gonna say, uh, "Oh, none of that." Okay. Oh, none of that. That's our that's our safe sentence. Okay. I think m- me being a mother, and I have an eight year old little boy, um, this hit hard. Uh, again um so anyway all right let's get into this so i took the approach of this as only researching um court documents as much as i could in the time frame i had i mean there are pages and pages and pages thousands of pages of court documents um and if you don't understand the legalese or you know whatever it gets to be very daunting um so i did that and i also only took information from the family out of their own mouths from um either memoirs um um, i read portions of Catherine jackson's memoir um my family the jacksons um i read as much as i could have moonwalk uh, michael jackson's memoir which was published in 1988 before all this craziness started uh i watched the whole Leaving Neverland documentary, which I think traumatized me, and I watched Oprah's After Neverland interviews. Um, I watched Diane Sawyer's interview in 1995 with Lisa Presley and Michael Jackson and a gazillion other, you know, Jackson family interviews on YouTube. Janet, LaToya, uh, Joe, and so on and so on. Um, So I tried not, you know, I did not look at blogs, um, opinion articles, um, and if I read something, I absolutely tried to fact check it with at least two or the three other, you know, documents or interviews. Um, so that's kind of where this basis of a lot of this stuff comes from. I also uh, delved 
kind of into what pedophilia is and wanted to kind of debunk some myths that we'll talk about later on. Um, I did not, my original intent was to have Aiden watch the documentary um, so we could discuss it. And I watched it first, as any parent should watch anything first before they let their children watch it. Um, And I forbade him from watching it because it's a lot. (laughs) And I know he's almost 19. He'll be 19 next Friday, a week from now. He's an adult. It's not like I want to watch it, but I'm letting my mommy make decisions for me. (laughs) It's that I trust her uh, judgment on something that would make me very emotional. And I already am like not a huge – I love Michael Jackson's music, but not a huge fan Mm -hmm. and would rather not – support somebody that went through the controversy like that so it wouldn't be a big deal to me to not watch the documentary well you wouldn't be if you're watching that you wouldn't be technically supporting michael but you'd be supporting you know the two victims you know alleged victims um you know we have to keep in mind that nothing's been proven um except what your belief is you know um with all this so yeah i didn't think it was appropriate for a 19 year old i don't think it's appropriate for anybody who is um had been a victim of sexual assault or abuse or any kind of abuse for that matter. It's very graphic. Um, it's very triggering if you've had any kind of trauma in the past. Um, and it definitely left me in a state of kind of in a fog for a couple of days. Um, and I kind of go back and forth after researching this, you kind of go in and out of feeling very, very bizarre and disturbed. Okay. So moving on, cause I feel like I'm getting to that nervous rambling part um so with the documentary uh you know the people are probably wondering like what's what's going on with this and why is it such a huge deal now um the two uh men in the documentary wade robson and james safechuck who defended Michael basically their whole lives up until about 2013 for uh, Wade. Uh, They're now coming out with allegations that even though they defended Michael in these previous trials and and stuff, that they were actually sexually abused by him and either starting around seven years of age or 10 years of age, depending on um, which person you're talking about. So let's first go into why Michael Jackson is, why this is such a big deal to some people who might not know his musical background and his, you know, anything about him. If you're uh, younger or, you know, wasn't into his music or anything. Michael Jackson was born August 29th, 1958. He is the seventh of nine kids born to Joe and Catherine Jackson. They lived in a two bedroom or three bedroom or three room house. I saw it to kind of describe either way. Um, but either way, very, very small house for a humongous family in Gary, Indiana, which um, I just know from Gary that I don't know how Gary is today, um, but I know that back then the area that they lived in, there was a lot of uh, gangs um, and didn't didn't seem like such a great area. Uh, the boys shared one of the bedrooms um, and the oldest daughter, Rebby, slept on a convertible couch in another room. And it sounded like kind of, you know, very cramped situation. Uh, the kids kind of shared sleeping areas. And, um, you know, which is what you do in that situation. His father, Joe, was a steel worker. And on the weekends, performed in a band um, called the Falcons. So he had some musical background. Catherine was a full-time mom. And she also worked part-time later on at a Sears. 
And according to the Jackson, to Michael Jackson's memoir, Moonwalk, uh, the boys would borrow jo Joe's guitar when he was at work and teach themselves how to play. They would also sing songs with their mother um, that she learned as a child in the South. And when they finally got busted after a guitar string broke, Joe realized that the kids could actually play. Um, and they kind of started a band, you know, around that time. Michael was very little. He was about five at the time, I think, when they started kind of practicing as a group. And Joe was a very strict disciplinarian, and it's very well documented that he abused these kids. He was hard. He was strict. The kids were scared of him. Um, very widely reported. I mean, I think anyone with any kind of knowledge of this family knows that Joe was, you know, hardcore. Um, some think it's flagrant abuse, while others say it was a different time, and that's kind of how people were disciplined. They're, you know, how people disciplined their kids back then. Um, he hit them. Uh, with stuff, you know, whatever it sounds like at some point, um, I think LaToya, or maybe it was, I think it was LaToya, one of the interviews I saw said that she, he would punch the kids, um, but you know, that's her account again. Um, and they rehearsed a lot every day. They kind of didn't do anything but go to school and rehearse, it sounds like. Um, and Michael comments repeatedly on these interviews and in his book that you know when other kids were out doing normal stuff like playing in the playground hanging out with their friends his friends were his brothers and um you know they were inside playing music so clearly it was something that either traumatized him or made him sad you know however you kind of look at how he took it because children take their upbringings and a family differently um Anyway, no matter how you look at it, they began playing locally. They won a bunch of talent shows, and they had their first professional debut as the Jackson Five in 1964, and Michael was around six years old. Jeez, that's wild. Yeah, it's crazy. He, I mean, it, obviously a, a prodigy. He was extremely talented, could sing, could dance, you know, um, amazing. Um, from Moon, Moonwalk, the book, Jackson said Joe would rehearse him every day after school, and Michael said, quote, if you messed up, you got hit, sometimes with a belt, sometimes with a switch, end quote. What's he a switch? A switch is, could be anything from like, usually it's considered like a, a stick, you know, kind of a bendable stick from, you know, maybe the backyard or something where you oh. pick up something and kind of whip somebody on the back or the leg or whatever. Yeah, those kind of, that stuff kind of hurts. We had growing up, my dad had a... Um, Sorry, Nana, Papa, had a uh, fraternity paddle that he would kind of <laughs> paddle us with. Um, that's not really a switch, but I think it's anything that you can kind of like. It could be a belt, you know. I don't know. I don't. Know. It's yeah. Just something to something handy. I, I got my <laughs> uh, I got my Game Boys taken away. Oh, big deal. <laughs> way, 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 way. Whatever your generation is. Um, he states that he was the only one that used to fight his father back. And he said, quote, throwing shoes and swinging my fist, uh, he'd, he'd hide under tables to get away from him, end quote, meaning Joe. Janet Jackson confirmed in an interview with Piers Morgan that um, it was true that Michael was the only child that fought back, which I found, found interesting. Joe Jackson wavers on his admittance of what he, he calls, you know, what we'll call beatings, because um, that's kind of what people say about it. Um, sometimes he denies it in interviews and sometimes he just simply says it was, you know, that's what they did and it was good for him. It kept them out of trouble and off the streets, which, you know, the older boys, when you watch interviews with them, like Jermaine and Jackie, um, you know, they're like, 
he did what he had to do to get us out of Gary, Indiana, basically. And we're thankful for that, no matter, you know, whether he was, it went too far or not. Maybe it wasn't the right thing to do, but um, it's just the way, it's how you view your childhood. And people can have opinions about that, but it, it is what it is. Um, so, and I think a lot of people from that generation can identify too. I'm sure a lot of our parents or grandparents were whipped or hit, you know, whatever. That doesn't make it right, but that's just kind of how it, how it was. Um, a lot of the early gigs for these kids were at strip clubs. This was also well documented. Um, what I'm about to describe in the next couple of paragraphs is from Michael Jackson's Moonwalk. Um, when Michael was around nine years old, Joe booked the Jackson Five into a place called Mr. Lucky's, and Michael was exposed to strippers. Um, and he recounts a story of a girl about nine or ten years old named Mary Rose who would strip, and they would uh, and something else gross that I won't mention because it's I'm talking to my son but you can look it up in the book if you really want to um, and they would look at women in the clubs through the bathroom holes that people would drill holes in the bathroom stalls or the bathroom walls and and it sounds like he saw some pretty uh sexual kind of stuff um you know at, at such a young age uh it sounds like he was kind of desensitized to certain things you know if you're in a club at six seven eight years old watching little girls strip and also watching women being sexualized in a way that is probably absolutely the most unhealthy way you can see view women or men at that if it, given um michael joe told michael um you know at one point when he when he wouldn't rehearse the right way or whatever that quote, he'd like to see his 10 year old singer make it to 11. You know, so he's, he basically would threaten him, you know, to what Michael said, you know, sound like he was threatening his life. Yeah. So Joe's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also weren't, weren't allowed to call him dad. They called him Joe. His name was Joseph. Um, yep. Their whole lives. Uh, that's a crazy dude right there. Yeah. He's strict. Um, Michael said that on the road that him and Jermaine, one of his older brothers, shared a room. Joe would always have a connecting room to them, and Michael said he, quote, really despised this arrangement, not, not only because he could monitor our behavior, but also because he used to do the meanest things to us. Jermaine and I would be sleeping, exhausted after a show, and my father would bring a bunch of girls into the room, um, wake us up, and they'd be standing there looking at us giggling, end quote. Now, I bring this up for two reasons. I think that's bizarre. I think that the Joe was blurring lines of what was appropriate, you know, or flagrantly being inappropriate with his kids. Um, I also think that this could be interpreted as, you know, their misbehavior, I think was just innocent stuff. They talked about pillow fights and, you know, water balloons and, you know, stuff like that when they were in these hotel rooms traveling. Um, but, you know, you have to keep in mind he also had older brothers that were um, known to be womanizers and chasing girls, which it sounds like J Joe was doing as well. Joe actually had a child out of wedlock at one point. Um, so I think there was just a lot of inappropriate stuff going on around young children um, because the family was so large and the age range of the Jackson 5 were, was a big age range. Um, from a 1993 interview with Oprah, Michael said his father would tease him about his pimples when he got to adolescence and he would call him ugly. Um, interesting throughout this interview, when he would talk bad about his dad, he'd look at the camera and say, sorry, Joseph, which I thought, and he would laugh very nervously, clearly mm -hmm. uncomfortable. Um, he said, quote, I love my father, but I don't know him. And he's, she asked him, you know, does it make you angry that you don't know your father? And he said, quote, sometimes I do get angry. 
um, and admitted that his father beat him and that he was very frightened of him and that sometimes he'd get so sick even as an adult thinking about his father when he would see him that he would feel like regurgitating that regurgitate was his quote and then he would apologize again to the camera so there's a very obviously mentally abusive situation going on there where he was you know still scared of his dad as an adult um, beginning in 1971 while he was still a member of Jackson 5, uh, he went on to have a solo career. Uh, the King of Pop is what, what is, he is known as, was actually uh, something that Elizabeth Taylor said during, an, you know, he was an, accepting an award. And I think she, her exact quote was like, he, you know, welcoming Michael Jackson, you know, he's the King of Pop. Um, blue Pop? R&B and something else. Some, there was like three things that she said, but the King of Pop kind of stuck. Um, he had five solo studio albums that were some of the best recording, best-selling records of all time. Off the Wall in 1979, Thriller 1982, which was my fave. Bad in 1987, Dangerous in 1991, and History in 1995. Thriller has remained the biggest-selling album of all time, with an estimated sales of 110 million. Ooh. Bad is the sixth selling al- sixth highest selling album. Um, he became one of the few artists to have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice uh, because of his group and solo stuff. He was also inducted into the ho- Dance Hall of Fame as the first and currently only dancer from the world of pop and rock and roll. Uh, his other achievements include 39 Guinness World Records, including one for the most successful entertainer of all time, 13 Grammy Awards, Um, as well as a Grammy Legend Award, a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, 26 American Music Awards, 16 World Music Awards, and an estimated up to $1 billion units sold worldwide. He's won countless other awards in other countries. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You can go to Wikipedia or wherever and see all of his awards. I mean, it just is amazing the amount of awards he won, not just here, but in Canada and you know other places um, he won a lot of humanitarian um, awards and endeavors he as a singer was honored by two presidents of the United States he has also been named the artist of the decade of the generation the century and the millennium wow. <laughs> so they just kept like they just kept each era that would go by it was just like he got the title of best whatever era this is the king yeah um, he was inducted into the songwriters Hall of Fame in 2002 um, he also won, I said, a bunch of other awards. He supported dozens of charities during his lifetime, including uh, USA for Africa, Make-A-Wish Foundation, and the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. I read somewhere that he supported up to 39 charities. He was very generous, um, did a lot of humanitarian work, you know, Africa, all over the place. Um, so that's kind of his immense stardom and achievements in a, nu- in a nutshell. Um, now, we all know that Michael Jackson has a lot of rumors around him too, like cuckoo rumors. So let's go into a couple of those. There was a rumor at one point that he slept in a hyperbolic or not a hyperbolic, hyper, what's it called? Hyperbaric chamber because he didn't want to grow old. And there's a picture of him actually in one. Um, he was burned on a Pepsi commercial. Um, and in 1984 and burned part of his scalp and his jacket went up in flames um to recover from that at the burn center he was at you know i think he did have a hyperbaric there was a hyperbaric chamber there or whatever he laid into it laid in laid in it and somebody took a picture of him 
and it went all around the tabloids that he was sleeping in it all night and you know whatever so the thing with the hyperbaric chamber is um, medically you can't sleep in it all night because it's 100 percent oxygen so you would die at the most you could be in it for maybe an hour or two um, so he also claimed on the oprah interview to never have had one or owned one um, i actually found that that wasn't quite true it sounds like he eventually did buy one um, in 1994 from the hospital which I think was after actually the interview that he had with her maybe right before because um, she was saying I didn't see a hyperbaric chamber in your big house um, and then later on I'll tell you you know you'll see why this kind of stuff came out it's a little shady um, also in the Oprah interview he claimed to never have owned the elephant man bones and he was like this is ridiculous you know you saw an interview with him you saw one interview with him and he's he very much repeats you know no no no's and it's stupid 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 you know he yeah you know that's kind of his mo which are not real um, answers by the way i yeah. just want to say anybody that yeah. answers like that could be lying because those aren't <laughs> real just, answers to questions it's either yeah it's either either trying to cut off the conversation or convince yourself that maybe your lies are true or something. I don't know. Um, that didn't make any sense. I don't know. Ignore me. No, I think that's absolutely right. If you're, if you haven't, if you, your argument is no, and you're that in denial about something, you could just be trying to convince yourself. Yeah. That you're a good person. Well, he, <clears throat> I was going to, I wrote this somewhere and then I took it out because it was just him making a comment. But at some point he says, in an interview, one of the interviews, he says, "Is I'm not quoting it perfectly, but he was like, you know, and he was saying it about the tabloids. He's saying, you know, if people read in the tabloids enough about a, about a lie, it becomes true, <clears throat> which I thought was ironic because if he did do all these things, you know, the people are saying he did. I think he believed his own lies, as well. It was a little ironic. Um, okay, so anyway, the elephant man's bones. Um, do you know who the elephant man is? Mm-hmm. They're in a London ho- at the London Hospital uh, Medical College. Um, they've been there forever. Um, and apparently, you know, he claimed in the interview that he did not own that, that it was, again, stupid. Um, but apparently his publicist came out in 1987 and said that he actually did offer the um, hospital $500,000, and then he upped it to a million dollars for the bones. And the, the hospital said, you know, no, they're not for sale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're in her in her book, Catherine Jackson, his mom, um, said that she thinks specifically his manager, Frank, I think his last name's Delio, D-I-L-E-O, spread these rumors to get only to get publicity. And she says in her book uh, that quote, "But I did watch with dismay as his manager, Frank Delio, played up the stories to the press." Now I have a problem with this. This is his manager. Um, if your manager is flagrant, you know, flagrantly like telling people lies to get publicity, even if it's a negative publicity and kind of make you seem a little cuckoo. Um, you'd think that an artist would be like, hold up, you're fired, hold up, stop doing this, you know, which Michael never did. <clears throat> so I don't know why, you know, he kind of sometimes makes it seems like he didn't have control over his own people, um, which either leads me to believe that he couldn't because they knew things about him or he was so not involved in his own business, which I can't really buy. I mean, he's successful. Right. Well, also, he, 
<clears throat> he started out in the business with an overbearing personality controlling him and him just being the act that goes on stage. So psychologically, he could have gotten used to that and hired people and kept people around him like that because it's what was familiar to him. Yeah, maybe he just let, maybe he just didn't want to deal with stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. And then the other big thing, you know, is about his uh, bleaching of his skin, um, you know, because he looked quote unquote white. Uh, he had a skin condition called vitiligo. I think I'm saying that right. Vitiligo, which leaves skin um, with patches of light and dark all over the body. Some believe he wore his one glove to cover a hand that had vitiligo. His autopsy did confirm this. Um, he had patches all over his body. Um, and I, you know, I, he probably did use something, you know, makeup or whatever it was to kind of hide, um, you know, the condition that he had, which is absolutely normal and okay. Um, he did have plastic surgery. He admitted in it to two surgeries in his book. Um, his mother told Oprah in 2010 interview that Michael had more than two surgeries and that she believed he was addicted to plastic surgery. She also said that um, when she asked Michael about being addicted to drugs, he denied it, and she said she knew he was lying. Uh, Lisa Presley and Liz Taylor both told Diane Sawyer in 1995 that Michael became addicted to pills during the 1993 trial, um, and his autopsy revealed that he didn't have any nose left. He basically had a prosthetic nose towards the end because he had messed with his nose so much. Um, so there was basically a hole in his face. And he also had uh, the autopsy revealed numerous puncture wounds around his arms. Um, but a doctor did say that he couldn't tell if that was from long-term drug use, but it was definitely, um, you know, um, not that old. Heroin no, not that old. I think that something. they were, he was getting intravenous injections um, of the drug that oh, killed him. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so that it's makes like a, sense. Like a drip of something. Right. Um. I, there's also, I, I live in Santa Barbara County where Neverland Ranch is. And um, there's also, I heard rumors that he had a tattoo <laughs> on his private parts um, of Tweety Bird. And I'm talking to a f specifically somebody who told me that, and it is not true. <laughs> so I'm just throwing that out there just <laughs> in case anybody had okay. heard that rumor. Um, Michael Jackson uh, died on June 25th, 2009 while working on his comeback tour, This Is It, which we mentioned before, he OD'd on propofol and benzodiazepine, I don't know, intoxication. I can't pronounce medical terms, um, but you can look that up if you really want to know what that word is. His memorial service was one of the most watched events in streaming history. It was an estimated 31.1 million um, U.S. audience that watched it. And I think the only two above that were Ronald Reagan and Princess Diana. His personal doctor, um, who was giving him the intravenous stuff supposedly to sleep at night, um, was convicted of involuntary manslaughter and spent two years in jail. Okay, so now we're going to talk about a little bit why this documentary came out 10 years after his death. Um, I just want to briefly touch on that people that are sexually abused or in domestic abuse or any kind of abuse, um, you know, come out with their abuse on their own terms. They're not set to a specific timeline. Um, and they said that the reason they came out with this later on in life after defending him for so many years was when they started having their own children, um, which can is a very common triggering thing for adults of the experience abuse as a child or even, you know, in your younger life, that when you see your own children, it kind of brings back 
um, you know, a lot of pain uh, that you all of a sudden are like, oh, I haven't dealt with this. I'm going to spend a lot of time in therapy <laughs> from yeah, now on. <laughs> so that's a very common normal thing. And I don't know if people are so passionate about thinking like these guys just want money, um, you know, because they're going for money from the estate which, by the way, is their only recourse at this point because Michael Jackson is dead. Um, their only recourse is to get money from the, from the estate or the, fa- or the companies. They can't get it from the estate anymore. Cause of... uh, let me go into this a little bit. Okay. So from what I, you know, people are like, they just want money, they just want money, which seems to be the fallback of when somebody sues, you know, somebody for um, either sexual harassment, uh, rape, um, you know, child abuse, later on in life and if you know people think like if you don't mention it immediately and you mention it later and this person's a millionaire or worth some money then you're only out for the money i think this is a rotten argument um it it diminishes a lot of the pain and suffering that these people go through and i think when you say those things you don't really understand abuse or trauma um the only recourse you have if you are a victim of any kind of abuse, specifically child abuse, is to, through our court system in America, is to A, either put somebody in jail for it and prove it, which is very hard to do without like a, a tape or, you know, a message or something that you can physically see, which back in 1993 would have been, you know, not that easy to do as it would today, or sue them for money in a civil suit. So you have a criminal suit, which sends somebody to jail, or you have a civil suit, which gets money. That's the only way of doing it. So when people are like, they only want money, it's like, well, you know what? He's dead. The only thing they can do is get money. Right. You know? And yes, they don't. They, they could go along their merry way and say, this happened to me, and um, I'm just going to go live my life now, but I wanted everybody to know about the abuse. But it's also like you have to look at the ramifications of they are in therapy, I'm assuming, probably once a week, you know, if they can afford it. Um, it sounds like James especially um, – has probably missed a lot of time off, off of work and, you know, affects your work life, uh, affects your family life. You know, there has to be a monetary value when your life is derailed because of this kind of stuff. Um, so that's just my rant about that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, so, and I, sorry, I go on rants and I come back to my little script I've written for myself. So, you know, obviously people compartmentalize trauma and to think that they don't, it's naive. If you want to look at spouse abuse, you know, people compartmentalize domestic abuse. They lie about, you know, they stick up for their wives, their husbands. You know, they say it's not happening. People walk into work with black eyes and they're like, oh, no, I ran into a wall. That's denial. That's not saying, you know, speaking your truth at the moment. And people don't freak out about that. Um, you know, if you're there's date rape victims that don't come forward ever, you people are experiencing experiencing sexual harassment at work. Don't come forward right away, um, you know numerous victims compartmentalize they wait they have to either heal somewhat or deal with the trauma in their own way before they say something you have you can't just come out right away you have to cope with your own with what happened because it's such a whack thing to happen to you you have to be some people do but it's you know and and god bless those people that are strong enough to do it but that is the rare thing the you know more often than not people don't ever either don't ever talk about it or it takes a long time yeah Okay. <clears throat> and also, you know, people are not bound by the co- time constraints of like the justice system, you know, the, the criminal um, 
suit, the first suit that Jane, uh, that Wade Robson filed in 2013, after you know going through two court trials with Jackson and saying that he wasn't abused, you know there was a time constraint. They're like the statute of you know time is passed, and so they dropped it. Um, so now he's going for a civil suit, which I don't think there's any statute of time on that or whatever. Um, okay, so. Once I again, you don't know who these people are, but Wade Robson, <clears throat> he was um, a kid in Australia and obsessed with Michael Jackson. He was a kid, imitated all his dance moves, um, and he went on to be a very famous uh, dance choreographer for Britney Spears in sync. Um, and because of Michael, you know, he Michael took him under his wing, mentored him. He moved his family um, out to LA. Uh, under the guise of you know helping him but as Wade is saying and alleging it is under the guise of basically um grooming him for sexual abuse his mom was also kind of groomed and pampered by Michael Jackson so she divorced her husband and, and moved Wade and his older sister out to the LA um, while the father and older son stayed in, in Australia um Wade defended him in the 1993 and 2005 sexual abuse trials that Michael went through um and then briefly, James was, there's a very famous Pepsi commercial uh, with a kid um, kind of roaming around backstage of Michael Jackson's concert and Michael catches him looking through his stuff or whatever. And, and that kid is James Safechuck in that commercial. And again, Michael groomed him, supposedly according to James, and um, James defended him in 1993 at the 1993 trial, but he refused to testify in 2005 because at that point he was <clears throat> had a family and was coming to terms with everything, but wasn't out with it yet and refused to go on the stand. Um, so um, Wade Robson has filed a claim against the estate of Michael Jackson uh, and that, as, as I mentioned, failed due to statute of limitations. Um, and now he's filed a second claim suing Jackson's companies and employees in a brief nutshell, he's accusing Jackson's companies of one, knowing about any unlawful sexual contact by conduct by Michael Jackson, two, that MJ had unlawful sexual misconduct, meaning, um, you know, that he abused kids. Um, at the, and at this point in the in the in the, tri in the proceedings, the judge considers uh, Wade's claims as true. Doesn't mean he can't change his mind, but at this point, throughout the proceedings, he has to assume that this stuff is true. Three, that the companies failed to keep children safe or prevented Michael Jackson from being around children. And then in a fourth new amended complaint coming from Wade's lawyers, they're saying that the companies aided and abetted procuring children for MJ to abuse, MJ Michael Jackson, um, and James eventually joined this suit as well. So there's some heavy claims. Um, and basically what that's saying, if that doesn't make any sense, is that they're saying that um, somebody in these companies knew the abuse was going on. Um, some say that Michael Jackson's longtime secretary, uh, Norma, I think, and I can't remember her last name, that she, by by buying flights and getting hotel rooms and flying people over from other countries, you know, that she was basically, it's somewhat of a sex ring, basically, that she was procuring these kids for Michael Jackson. So he was, they were readily available for him um, and that they kind of looked the other way. Um, also his security guard, a uh, longtime head of security that has been with him for like 20 years or something. Um, you know, it's like 
you'd have to think that if the stuff was going on that there are people that knew about it and they either signed um, confidentiality agreements when they started so they aren't talking or they were compliant in some way which is horrific um, so let's go over because some people are like how many people have accused him of abuse so in 1993 uh, Jordan Chandler was the first uh, kid to come out uh, with abuse allegations he met Jackson in 1992 and uh, a year later was accusing Jackson of sexual abuse uh, he, in the court documents it is readily known that Jackson slept with Chandler in the same bed for three consecutive months Chandler also described the uh, vitig what did I call it vitiglia vitigli whatever the skin condition he had I don't know why I can't pronounce that pattern on Jackson's penis perfectly to authorities uh, they sealed the drawing that Chandler did of his penis and marks on that um, and then months later when they finally got a court order to take pictures of Jackson it was a perfect match uh, that is very damning to me. So and right away, I'm going to say he was a child molester, right. just based off of that. Yes. Jackson met Chandler after um, uh, Jackson's car broke down, and a rental car company had to come pick them up. And uh, Jordan's um, dad, Evan Chandler, owned apparently owned the rental place or rental car company, and, and Jordan was a huge Michael Jackson fan. And so uh, Jackson... <laughs> it just is a very bizarre thing you your car breaks down you meet this family and then all of a sudden you're like best friends with this family so he invited him to his house he treated them with gifts and and you know lavished them with stuff and then eventually was these parents let jackson sleep with jordan um i think at that point so stupid uh, get um, a better brain i think Jordan's parents were divorced, and so the mother, from what I recall, the mother was allowing the sleepovers to happen. The father had an issue with it, and eventually his dad took him to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist called the police, which is what they're legally supposed to do. Um, they settled out of court for over $20 million. Uh, there are different amounts listed because the breakdown of monies um, went to parents and the child. Jordan got the most, um, and his parents each got a million something or two million or something. Um, Evan's father eventually committed suicide. Or not Evan's, I'm sorry, Evan, Jordan, Jordan's father, eventually committed suicide, which is awful. Why? Um, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I don't know why anybody does that. Obviously, there's sadness there. Um, feeling out of control I don't know how much his suicide was uh, impacted by the trial and the allegation you know his son's abuse um, but Jordan went on to emancipate himself from his parents which means he legally got uh, the okay from the courts to say these are not my parents they can't tell me what to do and he you know usually that happens before you are 18 and you're an adult and can go off and do whatever you want anyway I don't know what age he did that um, at Jackson's second trial in 2005 Jordan's mother said she hadn't spoken to Jordan in 11 years um, so if anybody's thinking that he did that for the money um, sounds like the family fell apart his father committed suicide and he completely lost track of his mother on his own terms I read somewhere that he possibly relocated to uh, New England and 
changed his name. No one, basically, no one can find him. And in the, I read a, a bunch of law documents about you know what you can do in these types of high-profile cases or even sexual child sexual abuse cases anyway, especially if it's with a family member or something, is that you can go into what's seems to be like a witness protection program where you change your name and get a new identity and take off. Um, I don't think anybody would go through that if they were lying. It seems like a lot. Uh, so that was Jordan. And that's sad. Um, during that same trial in 1993, along with uh, Jordan, one of Jackson's housekeeper's sons, um, I didn't find his name, so I'm assuming it was not out there for some reason, uh, he said Jackson followed him but refused to testify when Jordan refused to testify. So what happened in that first trial was that um, they didn't have enough criminal evidence to get Jackson just on the evidence. And then from what I am understanding, and by the way, I'm not a lawyer, not a doctor, not a therapist. Um, but it sounded like they, to kind of, put the nail in the coffin, so to speak. Um, they needed the kids to testify, and Jordan was so embarrassed and so, like, traumatized he refused to. And this second child, when Jordan refused to, he was like, I'm not doing it either, because he, quote, said he was embarrassed. Um, so that went into a settlement, which I'd have to say Michael denied any allegations. He said this is absolutely not true, but he went ahead and filed anyway, and he claimed in his own words that he his lawyers told him that it was going to be like a seven year long case if he didn't settle and he didn't want to deal with the the amount of time and money it was going to take for the trial so he decided to settle which you know let's go back to assuming devil's advocate that he didn't do anything you know that's his prerogative to sell out a court and and maintain his innocence um so in the 2005 trial this kid this uh his housekeeper's son came back he was 24 years old at the time and he uh he um went back on the stand and said that Jackson touched him inappropriately at least three different occasions. And all three times he put a hundred, he put hundred dollar bills in his shorts and told him not to tell his mother. Jackson settled with him, giving him $2 million. Another kid, um, at the time he was a kid, he's an adult. Uh, this did not go into any kind of, uh, court situation or charges or anything. There was just a story going around, which I thought I would throw out there because he, this kid named Terry George from the UK, he was 13 at the time. Um, he used to go to hotel rooms in hopes of interview interviewing celebrities when he was a kid. And in 1976, he met Michael Jackson. They began, began a friendship and Michael would call him on the phone for hours and hours. And at one point, uh, this guy Terry said that his family had racked up $300 in phone bills in like one month or something. The calls turned very sexual and, uh, Terry got uncomfortable, and when Michael saw him next, Terry uh, said MJ was very cold, and basically kind of that put an end to that. Police surmise that this may have been one of Michael Jackson's first uh, victims. But of course, again, no charges were coming from it. It could be just a story. It's, I'm just throwing it out there that that was another incident that was well documented in the papers at the time. Now, to go back, this hours and hours of phone calls is something that was a repeated pattern that all the children said that Michael did with them. So when he wasn't physically with them, he would inundate them with letters, notes, phone calls for hours upon hours. Again, I, as a mother, I don't want a mother shame. I cannot, you know, if you told me Mr. Rogers wanted to sleep with my kid in a bed, nothing was going to happen, I wouldn't let it happen. I think absolutely we should parent shame in this situation. This is <laughs> almost 75% the parent's fault. 
you absolutely are a terrible parent if you let your kid sleep in the same bed as any celebrity. It's, there's no or anyone for that. And you don't let your kids sit on the phone even with their friends for hours upon end. Yeah, so no excuse. There was clearly in the parents, if this is true and if this happened, I have to say again, he was not convicted of anything. If this was true and, you know, he even Michael admitted he was on the phone for hours with these kids. As an adult, Michael should have not been on the phone with these kids for hours. They have homework. They have things that they can do. And I will get into that in my opinion about what he was doing. Regardless of the sexual abuse, he admitted to everything else besides harming these kids okay so the next victim was gavin arvizo i think is how you pronounce his last name it's a-r-v-i-z-o he was a cancer patient um, that started having sleepovers with jackson 2000 so jackson was um about every three weeks he said in an oprah interview they would invite a bunch of sick children usually cancer patients to neverland to play on the you know to have fun basically i mean who wouldn't the place was amazing um and apparently this one child, he, uh, according to Gavin's later testimony, um, he started abusing this one child after he went into remission. Um, in the, so there was another damning documentary. I believe it was in 2003, um, 2003, called Living with Michael Jackson. Um, and in the documentary, Gavin, this child that had cancer um, is with Michael for the majority of it um, while he's being interviewed and they're holding hands uh, Gavin's leaning up against him and Gavin says one of the interview the interviews says something about like do you sleep you know you sleep in the same bed with him you know because this point everybody knew about the first trial and him sleeping in bed and and Jackson says that it's not not a problem he does it because he's not a pedophile basically um, Gavin said the first time that Jackson asked him to sleep with him, he said he was uncomfortable, but he said, Jackson quote said, if you love me, you will, which is total manipulation. And he said that on camera and Jackson did not defute it, refute it. He just sat there and kind of giggled, which was bizarre. Yeah, that's absolutely sick. That's so sick. around this time when that video, you know, um, that documentary came out, the Santa Barbara, um, I don't think it was the sheriff's department or whatever authority in Santa Barbara did it open an investigation to Michael Jackson um, unfortunately for this family after having a child go through cancer uh, they were a poor family and they had a hit criminal history which of course was drug through the court um, the mother and father were both arrested prior to having their kids um, with Michael um, I guess at some point when they were little the parents had the kids steal from a JC Penney and the parents got busted and it was a big you know ordeal after the trial, the mother was convicted of welfare fraud. So, of course, the, you know, they were looked at as not a perfect family. Um, they didn't have money, it sounded like. They had their own struggles. And, of course, they were drugged through by the defense team as saying that they were obviously out for MJ's money. Um, Michael Jackson was acquitted in that 2005 um, stuff. And Gavin refused to sell his story for money. And he said the truth will come out in time. And that brings us to Wade and James. Uh, Wade uh, said he was abused from the ages of 7 to 14. James said he was abused between 1988 and 1992. Um, in another horrible uh, twist, uh, Wade's father actually committed suicide as well. He was um, diagnosed as bipolar and had admitted at one point of having been a victim of child sexual assault as well, but he didn't speak about it until after 30 years. Um, so I can only 
make a educated guess there that, you know, because of his mental uh, capacity and the fact that he was sexually abused and then seeing his son go through the same thing, that that was horrifically traumatizing that, to too, him. just too much to handle for... It's just too much to handle. It's awful. And Jeez. at that point, he was estranged from Wade. Wade had absolutely no relationship with him because basically Michael Jackson was telling him, according to Wade, that, that Michael was his dad and not his real dad. Michael was accused of, in the documentary, of telling children that not to trust their parents and that he was their parent and, you know, this whole thing. You know, it's just, it's a lot. Um, okay, so the majority of the abuse happened at Neverland Ranch in Los Olivos, California, which is in Santa Barbara County. Um, Neverland Ranch is a uh, 27,000-acre ranch, humongous. It had a zoo, giraffes, monkeys, zebras, full amusement park, full-sized, you know, rides, the whole thing. Um, three of which are used currently in the Santa Barbara County Fair, which I think is creepy. Um, they had a full movie theater with special rooms with beds that Michael said were for the sick children who couldn't sit and watch movies. Wade and James both uh, claimed that they were abused in those beds at the movie theater. Um, there's a full arcade, a train railway, uh, separate guest houses where the families would stay away from the main house um, where Michael would stay with children. So they were separated from their kids. Kids stayed in, um, okay, I said that. Uh, pictures from the 2005 trial showed that there was, that were taken when Neverland was raided in 2003, showed doors leading to the hallways of Michael's bedroom to have at least eight locks on them. And reportedly a bell system was in place to warn Jackson when people were approaching the room. Now this is documented and this was uh, talked about in trial. He could say that that was his own private security, um, but the kids said it was a way for him to, re to know that someone was approaching the room and they had done drills with Michael to see how fast they could get dressed in case somebody caught them so they wouldn't get caught. Again, that's from Wade and James accounts. Um, other places the abuse supposedly took place was um, in Westwood and Culver City where Michael had apartments and on the road in hotels. So Michael left Neverland Ranch in 1995 after the first trial. His home was eventually deeded and transferred to a, or the, the home deed was actually transferred to a company that he owned. Afterwards, he lived in Bahrain, Vegas, and Europe. He kind of bounced around. Um, the house was uh, raided in 2003, like I said, after Gavin's claims. Um, there was a ton of pictures and a bunch of evidence uh, taken that you can now find online if you wanted to see them. And there's a partial list of items that they found that some of the items they used in the trial, one of them being a black briefcase uh, that Michael had locked in a cabinet next to his bed. And in that briefcase was pornographic materials, which I'll go over in a little bit. And also a photo of a nude boy. Um, and that is proven in, in, in the court documents. Neverland was closed by authorities in 2006 and um, Michael was fined for not paying his staff. An investment company um, bought out the, or took, took charge of the, $24 million loan on the house um, and there were about 2,000 items taken from the ranch that were still there that were eventually auctioned off. Now, as I am a, I know at one point Justin Bieber looked at buying the house. Um, that kind of fell through. I know that a lot of this, the, you know, the the uh, amusement park, all that's been dismantled and sold off. Basically everything there was taken down right after he died and kind of auctioned off and, and sold um, and the house is just sitting there and we tried to go up to it at one point was I with you when we did that we, we got up to the gate and the, the minute you get anywhere near the gate security comes out and is like yeah. 
turning you we'll around. To, it's in the middle of nowhere. A couple times, but yeah, there's there's you can't really. <clears throat> it's very isolated. Yeah. It's up a it's up a, a mountain and it's isolated. Um, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful up there. So I don't blame him for being up there. And it was his own private. You know, on, to devil's advocate again, he was a private guy, needed his privacy. And he said in, in one of the interviews with Oprah, he's like, look, I can't, I'm not a normal person that can go out to the movies, that can go to an amusement park, that can enjoy myself. People see me and they, they mob me, which is, you, you see videos of him getting mobbed and it was dangerous, you know, pe- pushing and shoving and freaking out. People like hyperventilating when they see him. So he created his own little, you know, places where he could go do that stuff, which I don't blame him. I get it. Um, so I think part of this fascinating with fascination with this documentary is showing you know if you believe the victims showing what grooming is when you are a pedophile and you're grooming children you know to get them away from their parents and and lie for you um and it's kind of a fascinating um if not demented uh side of of that you know horrible crime and and how how that happens you know slowly over time with these families he gave them gifts, cars, houses, jewelry. Uh, Wade's mom, because they were from Australia, said she funneled money through Jackson's estate to get her green card. Um, uh, yeah, all, all this crazy stuff. Um, and Oprah, Oprah used the word seducing. You know, it's like you seduce a lover. You seduce a family member. You know, <clears throat> he seduced the, the mothers. <clears throat> Sorry. Um yeah, and so it's just a shame. Um, <clears throat> sorry, hold on. Why don't you talk while I take a drink of water? Okay. What's next on the agenda? Because this is getting to be a little much for me. I'm almost, well. <clears throat> We're at 57 like... minutes. Okay. Um, well, I was going to go into, you know, some stuff that pe- there's misconceptions online of what pedophilia is, and they're defending him, you know, saying certain things. So if you can bear with me through this next section, um, <clears throat> we're almost done. Okay. Are you okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So pedophilia, medically, is um, defined as an ongoing sexual attraction toy- toward prepubescent children. And this doesn't just include sexual assault or molestation. This includes somebody that might be feeling distress or impairment about fantasies and urges and acting out on a behavioral level, including child pornography consumption and committing hands-on sexual assaults. Um, Meaning, in layman's terms, just because you, you could still be a pedophile even though you don't act out on these things. If you're daily thoughts are consumed with this even though you haven't acted out on it you're still medically considered a pedophile because it's kind of a disorder some people think it's a mental illness um and i'm not talking about this just to kind of be you know i don't know how you would say it just for my own whatever i'm kind of i'm saying it because there's people online i went on twitter and was kind of disturbed by what people were saying um so I took a lot of this information from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Um, they have a behavioral analysis uh, document in cooperation with the FBI. It's the December 1992 third edition. So anything that I respond to some of these pe- uh, things people are saying online, the responses are from this document from the um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. So some people online were saying that um, that 
as a you know like specifically Corey I think it's it's a Corey Feldman or Corey Corey Feldman one of the Corys from the 80s whatever said that you know he was best friends with Michael Jackson he never sexually touched him he's but he was molested by other higher up Hollywood people that he you know won't name but he said that Michael Jackson specifically did not touch him so that therefore he couldn't have done it to any other children which is you know I feel badly that he went through that and I feel for him but it's just not a true statement um pedophiles do have um impulse control they can some might not but some can um it's kind of a blanket statement to say this you know therefore he couldn't have done it to other children is just not reality um pedophiles are attracted to children in the way that you know i'm walking past 20 dudes on the street one might catch my eye and the other 19 are like whatever you know same for women you know so it's it's no different they aren't just freaking out and attacking every child that walks past them it's just not how it works um so many of the things i saw in there was that uh i thought interesting that they were defending michael but there was a picture of wade uh going around twitter that he was um had his arm around a girl and his hand was kind of up on her rib cage like underneath her armpit a little too high for people's comfort and they were calling him a creep and the real pedophile which i thought was very hypocritical when you're defending somebody um but then accusing somebody else with absolutely no proof which i think is one of my biggest things about twitter is that people do that's just stupid um you know uh Michael Jackson has numerous pictures online of him holding hands with children and with his hands on the boy's upper thighs. So that tweet kind of pissed me off and is stupid. Um, They also said that Michael Jackson dated a ton of girls and was married twice. Spoiler alert, pedophiles marry people and they have children um, and they don't, you know, they can have, it doesn't mean they can't have sex with the opposite sex or with adults. It's just not the preferred sex that they would like to have. Okay, I see you glazing over in disgust. Okay, so Jackson was married twice um, to Lisa Marie Presley, and uh, and then he was married again to Debbie Rowe, who was the mother of his two oldest children, and then his third child was uh, born through a surrogate. You saw that Lisa Marie Presley video. That's the only thing I kind of sent you to, to look at so you could have a little input of how awkward that interview was um, after they got married. What were your opinions on how they're kind of chemistry and stuff were together in that interview yeah they just i mean what, what's her what's her name lisa lisa marie presley she was she was pissing me off because all she kept doing was saying no 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 and having this snarky attitude about it and all i was the only vibes i was picking up from them as as a whole and how they were talking was people that are in denial people that are guilty that are just trying to look good and keep their reputation solid it was right. clearly, I mean, what I, I don't know what kind of creep just wants to sleep with children. Just when he says, I love children, he's like just so creepy and so disgusting. And, and <clears throat> like, mm-hmm. it's just uh, he's such he was such a mentally ill person that lived such a whack life. And it just. I don't think and let's, it, let's point out I think people are trying to people are struggling right now to separate the artist from the art and you can be incredibly in- talented you can be incredibly giving and still be a creep so I'll yeah. get to that so let me rush through this because I can tell that you're like getting a headache from this and we'll wrap it up here I just wanted to go over some of the pornographic stuff that was found um, 
because a lot of people are like, he was, he's innocent. They didn't find anything. They did. Um, in his Diane Sawyer interview, uh, he admits to having books of nude children. Um, they did find those in the raid. Uh, and what I learned, which I didn't know, was that you can possess pornographic, what is considered legal pornographic pictures of nude children as long as they're not engaged in sexual activity. The minute it's considered lewd or sexual, it is considered illegal. Um, and that is how a lot of pedophiles and child molesters get around um, the law is the loophole of if, if they're standing there nude, or if they're holding themselves, if they can sit there suggestively, but if they're not engaged with some other child, another adult, or something considered lewd, then it's not considered illegal. And so he, on record, had legal child pornography. Now, he claims that he didn't know he had those things and that it's gifts that he got from people and that he has thousands of gifts sent to him all the time and that his staff goes through them and some things are probably kept and not kept and that he was unaware, which could be true. Devil's advocate again, could be true but they were found in a briefcase in a locked cabinet in his room. I find it hard to believe that his staff put that in there without him knowing, but it could be a possibility. And this is why he didn't get in trouble for those things or have to file as like a, um, you know, any kind of like uh, child predator or anything like that or get arrested and put in jail. Um, okay, so that was that. You know, and then, of course, the biggest thing that he admits repeatedly that he had sleepovers. And even after all the trials, he would continue to sleep with kids because he said it it was innocent. Um, his quote is, uh, Michael insisted to Oprah in 1993 that there was, quote, nothing sexual going on. He declares, quote, I give them hot milk. You know, we have cookies. It's very charming. It's very sweet. It's what the whole world should do. End quote. Uh, no. Um, okay, let me th I'm going to wrap this up because I could go on about other things, but I think you get the drift. I just want to mention that, as we said, um, you know, you can be famous, you can be a doctor, you can be a police officer, you can be a famous artist, um, a dancer, you could be a lawyer. And you can also be a pedophile, and you can also harm children. You can give all your money away to charities. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to use a random thing that Gandhi um, uh, is internationally beloved because of his peaceful protests. and But he was also known to sleep with his niece naked to prove that he you know, didn't have sexual impulses. Uh, some people claim that he was also a pedophile um, and that is not substantiated but you know even the most revered people can have a dark side obviously um, I'm going to give you a little statistics real quick uh, that in the U.S. one in three girls are sexually abused and one in six boys are uh, one in ten will actually report and I was always wondering where these st statistics came from. Um, I got mine from a 20-year study by the Children, Children's Bureau of the U.S. Department of Human and Health Services. Um, and I was going to leave you guys with a little quote that I read in this. Um, uh, it's kind of a clinical thing I'm leaving you with, but it's from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. 
from the American Psychiatric Association um, on pedophilia. And it's, quote, it is important to realize that to refer to someone as a pedophile is to say that only the individual has a sexual preference for children. It says little or nothing about the other aspects of his character and personality to assume that someone is not a pedophile simply because he is nice, goes to church, works hard, is kind to animals, and so on is absurd. There you go. I'm going to put links um, to a few sites uh, if people are triggered by this, if they're struggling with something, if they want to talk about anything. Um, There's www.missingkids.com. Um, there is an organization called RAIN, www.rainrain.org. And if anyone needs therapy to talk to somebody and is from a small community, um, like I kind of am, and you don't want to go to somebody locally or you don't want to go to somebody, because I know that's an issue sometimes in certain communities, you're embarrassed to talk about certain things. Um, there's a place called Talkspace that you can call in the convenience of your own home and discuss these things, you know, on your own terms in your own space, which might be more comfortable for certain people. And that's www.talkspace.com. And I'll put these online too. So (laughs) Aiden is now staring blankly at the floor. Um, I know this is hard hard to talk about, about, um, but I think it's necessary. And I think that as a mother, I would hope that anyone listening to this that has somebody around their children that has a too much um, need to be around your child or your children, wants to take them places without you, um, you know, seems to have kind of an odd relationship with your child because they think your kid's great or special or super cool or I wish I was doing that when I was a kid and I want to mentor your kid and Um, There are wonderful people out there that are like that, that will not harm your child. But I also think there are a lot of people out there that will, and you just need to be aware of it. You need to trust your gut. Um, I think it was James's mother in the documentary said that she at one point put her ear up to a door to listen to what Michael and James were doing in the other room. Um, And I'd have to assume as a mother, knowing that you wouldn't do that unless you had a gut feeling something was wrong. Um, And I think that she denied her instincts there unfortunately. Um, So adults do not need to play with children. They don't need to hang out with children. They don't need to be alone with your child. They don't need to sleep with your child. They don't need to ask your child for directions. Adults are self-sufficient and don't need to do anything with children. End of story. Also, if you don't think Michael Jackson was a pedophile, you should probably read some more books and get smarter because... Yes, educate yourself. Look at the information. It's all out there. Um, I scratched the surface. And I tried to be, look at the other side of it. You know, I feel badly for his children. Um, They are also victims in this situation. And they are going to have a hard life going forward. And I know their family members absolutely deny everything that is being said. Um, They believe in Michael. They think he's innocent. And, And if it is true, I mean, you know, there's a small chance that it is true. And if that's the case, then it's a horrendous tragedy for this family. And, you know, and if it is true, we'll all have eggs on our face, you know, and uh, and I don't know if that can be proven at this point that he's passed. He's not here to defend himself, but we have to assume that he would be denying all the allegations right now as well. So I think that's that. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap it up because I think Aiden's in shell shocked. 
of Aiden Call Talk Space in a second. Next week we're talking about rainbows. Yes, we will. We'll have some fun stuff next week um, to get away from this, but I think it was an important episode and hopefully I'm sure we'll get some backlash, um, but it is what it is. People uh, be safe out there. Be smart out there. Thanks for listening and peace out. Bye.